The following message is from the North Shore Christian Centre MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about North Shore Christian Centre is available at www.nscc.org.au. Well, it's so good to be back from holidays at home with you guys. Last Sunday was my first... I just got off a plane and onto the pulpit, so if you didn't understand a word I was saying, just blame the jet lag. If God ministered to you, thank the Holy Spirit that uh, there's a gift called the interpretation of tongues, and uh, maybe that was in operation last week, but uh, God gives grace to those that ask Him. Amen? So if you have your Bibles, would you open to John chapter 2? And I, I want to speak to you today about something that can change your life. This message today is here to change your life. And if you can grab hold of this message, I'm telling you, you will live your best life. Message is simply called the God Factor. Everybody say the God Factor. The God Factor is what gives you the added advantage in life. Do you know what? You can go through life doing it all yourself, or you can go through life having the God factor. And if you go through life with the God factor, I'm telling you, you live life at a higher level. You live life at a higher advantage. The God factor opens doors for you that nobody can open. The God factor closes doors that's important for them to shut so that you can move to the next stage of your future. The God, the God factor brings the miraculous into your life. It brings the blessing of God into your life. The God factor is what every single one of us need at work in our life. Can anybody say amen? amen? Is there anybody here that wants the God factor at work in their life? Well, I'm going to share with you today how to get the God factor because the simple definition of the God factor is this. If you obey, he'll make a way. Come on, can everybody say that? If you obey, come on, let's say it together like um, a really strong army of people rather than Brown's cows. Okay, just repeat after me. If you obey, obey, he'll make a way. way. Now we'll make it personal. If I obey, obey, he'll make a way. And the flip side of that is if you disobey, you'll lose your way. It's as simple as that. If you disobey, you'll lose your way. But if you obey, he'll make a way. That's the God factor. If you obey, he'll make a way. And you know what? This morning, uh, I've launched this message just out of the news that we got this week that our building is, is theoretically paid for. Next year, when all the pledges come in, we'll have a celebration, a, a burn the mortgage day or something like that. It'll be a, <laughs> it'll be a great celebration. We're going to have a fun day, a family, when, when all the pledges. I wanted to celebrate today by saying theoretically it's done. And uh, it's all dependent upon the 52,000 in pledges coming in, which they will, no question about that, because you guys are faithful. But it's God will make a way where there is no way. So I want to show you the God factor at work in Jesus' first miracle. The first miracle recorded in uh, John chapter 2, the whole story of Jesus turning the water into wine and how the God factor was at work there and the principle of the God factor from the Bible that you can apply into your life. So let me read it. John chapter 2, just 10 verses from the Bible. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, 
the mother of Jesus said to him, they've got no wine. So Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Just let me press pause there for a little second because this verse seems almost, you know, a little bit dishonoring. So let me just clarify that for you, first of all, that in the Greek, that word woman is not a dishonorable term. Probably better translated in our modern day English would be my lady or man. So it's not just woman. It's not Jesus being, you know, arrogant. It's my lady. And that, that whole verse, what does, your, what does your concern have to do with me? Basically just saying, hey, my lady, why are you involving me in this problem? My hour has not yet come. But you know what? I just love this whole interaction between Jesus and his mother Mary and just the honor that he showed her because even though he didn't want to do the miracle, it wasn't quite his hour, out of honor for her, he did something. But you know what? Mary had a revelation of the God factor that very few people had. And so what happens is that his mother said to the servants, turned around and said to the servants, and here it is, I want you to underline this in your Bible because this is the whole connection to the God factor that Mary knew. It says this, whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever he says to you, do it. So Nike have got the last two words done, do it. What they haven't got is the first part, which is whatever he says to you, do it. So what we need is a North Shield Christian Center t-shirt that's got whatever he says to you, do it. And then you've got other people that have got t-shirts that says, don't do it. Don't. That's the Bart Simpson t-shirt. Don't do it. Okay, let's move on. Uh, verse six says, now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons. So again, let me press pause there and just give you some sort of understanding. Six water pots, about approximately 100 liters each. Six water pots, approximately 100 liters each. And so they filled them up to the brim. And he said, draw out some and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. So so you'd understand that the miracle of Jesus was turning water into 600 liters of wine for one wedding. How many of you know that's above and beyond what we ask or think? I mean, have you ever seen a wedding with 600 liters of wine. Now, you understand a bottle of wine is not even a liter. What's a bottle of wine? How do you know that so well is what I want to know. Right on the front row. (laughs) That was way too quick answer. 750 mil. (laughs) Especially, how old are you? 20. 20. Okay, so he's big. (laughs) He's part Irish. (laughs) That's a great answer. Okay, let's pay attention, please. I don't want to be distracted by, by this frivolous talk. So when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water, they knew all about it. They saw the God factor at work. Isn't it amazing that some people get front row seats to the God factor? Other people just get to see the results of it and go, wow, that was awesome. 
Then you've got other people that say, we saw the water turn into wine. We were there on the front row. Isn't that right, Sandra? Right there on the front row. Isn't that right, Matt Cross? We were there on the front row, saw the water turn into, just did the journey, saw the God factor at work. Other people, they just get to enjoy the end of the God factor. Other people have got to do the journey of the God factor. You know what? I don't just want to be at the end where I enjoy it. I actually want to be on that journey where you see the hand of God at work. That's the God factor, and it's simply connected. And so, and they said, every man at the beginning, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, well, then the inferior, but you've kept the good wine until now. You've kept the best till last. You've kept the best till last. How many of you know this? That if you stay on the journey long enough, you'll see the best. It'll come your way. Too many people quit the journey before they get to the best. And how many of you know that the best is saved to the end? And those of you that stay on the journey, you will see it. You will see it. How many of you have been praying for stuff for over a year? How many of you have been praying for stuff over five years? How many of you have been praying for stuff over 10 years? You know what that says to me? You guys are stuck to the journey. You're stuck on the journey. See, too many people give up too quickly. Other people, man, if you've been praying for over 10 years for something, you know what that says to me? You've stayed on the road for over 10 years. You've stayed on that journey for over 10 years. And you know what? The best is coming your way. I want to prophesy today. The best is coming your way. The best is coming your way. God has got an answer for you. He's got an answer for you. Why is that? Because you've stuck on the journey. You've got to get it into your spirit and not just see it as hype and not just see it as a pastor talking, but you've got to see it as a prophetic message from heaven coming into your spirit that God is at work and he's saving the best to last. Let me share with you the three ingredients of the God factor. Just three things that you, if you want the God factor at work in your life, This is how it starts. It starts with, first of all, belief in God. Everybody say belief in God. Now, you know, that's the first step, but it's not the end step. So just belief in God doesn't necessarily open you up to the God factor. You need the whole three ingredients. Why is that? Because, you know, don't pat yourself on the back because you believe in God, because you're at Satan's level. He believes in God. You say, whoa, that's a pretty low blow. Well, so many people, well, I believe in God. And it's like, well, give me some brownie points. Well, the devil does as well. He hasn't got any brownie points. James chapter 2 says, not only does he believe, but he trembles. Are you trembling when you say, I believe in God? Well, well not quite. Well, well, he's even further ahead than you. So just don't say, well, because I believe in God, I deserve the God factor. No, that's step number one. Then you move from step number one to step number two. The second ingredient in the God factor is where your belief becomes love. So you've then converted your belief in God to love for God. Oh, my goodness. Now, there's something else. So then you become a God lover, an unashamed God lover. How many God lovers have we got here? I just love that terminology, God lover. Because that says, I, I'm unashamed of loving God. Matter of fact, I'm willing to step forward, put up my hand and say, I'm a God lover. 
And you know what? When God looks from heaven, he's looking for his God lovers. He's not just looking for believers. Matter of fact, you know, the statistic tells us that over 60% of Australians believe in God. But you don't find 60% of Australians in church on a Sunday morning. But you're here. You're here. Why is that? Because your belief has gone past belief into love for God enough to motivate you to come to church. So if you're a God lover, say, I'm a God lover. And this is, this is the first commandment, to love God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, just to love him and put him first. And you know what? That's what love means, is putting God first. It's one thing to say, I love God, but that's not the end of the story. So there's a third component to the God factor, because belief is the first step, then love is the second step. And you demonstrate your love by the third step, which is obedience, obeying God. So you just can't say, I love God, without moving into this next level of obeying God. Because Jesus said it himself in John chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, then you will obey me. There's this connection between love and obedience. And so, so in God's eyes... If you say, I'm a God lover, his next response is prove it. And so you prove it through your obedience. It's this submission to him. It's this willingness to follow. It's this willingness not just to have a catechism. It's not just to have, well, I've got this belief system and I've learned it. I've gone to Alpha and I've learned. I've gone to Sunday school and I've learned. I've gone to Bible college and I've learned. No, no. See, he doesn't connect your love for him with your knowledge of him. He connects your love for him with your obedience to him. So his assessment of your love factor is not how much you know. And this is a big thing for a lot of Christians all over the world because they actually exchange obedience for knowledge. And so all over the world, what I find is I find Christians thinking that their discipleship and their connection to God is based on knowledge. And so their pursuit is for knowledge and they want to know more. They want to know the deeper things. They want to know more about this. They want to know more about that. We want to know more about the the deep, deep, deep things. And the question will never be at the gates, how much did you know about me? It's how much did you obey me? The question will never be, how much knowledge do you have? But how much obedience do you have? Obedience. You know, and this, is, and this is the mark of discipleship. Go into all the world. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. Obedience. It's the key thing. God is looking for obedience. And that's what Mary understood in this verse. In this whole structure of the water turning into wine, Mary said to those servants, listen, bottom line, whatever he says, do it. Bottom line, whatever he says, just do it. Whatever he says, do it. Whatever he says, do it. And if you want the God factor in your life, can I just say to you, whatever he says, do it. Whatever he says, do it. 
Let's move on into, well, well, how do I know what God is saying to me? How do I know what, what he expects from me? Well, there's three ways. There are three revelations of the will of God, the God factor in your life. There's three revelations of, of the connection to obedience. And this, is, and this is very simple. It's the word of God, the will of God, and the ways of God. The word of God, the will of God, the ways of God. Let's talk about those three things. The word of God. I love what Psalm 119 verse 115 says. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your word, it just lights it all up. And, and so what, what I find is this, is that God's word is so clear that it's, it's, it's the place where I got to read and understand it because, because obedience to the word is so important for me and so important for you. So whatever you do, don't get into what I call this hyper-spiritual mode that basically says, well, that's what the Word says, but God told me something else. Don't, get, don't go there. If, if you don't want a strong rebuke from your pastor, just don't go there. Why is that? Because the Holy Spirit is the one who inspired this Word. And so for you to say, the Holy Spirit told me something that actually contradicts the word, you know what I say? You're not hearing from the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit won't contradict himself. So just don't go there. Just don't go there. If something is clear in the word, then you abide by it because the Holy Spirit will never contradict what's here. So love the Word of God. Enjoy the Word of God. Get into the Word of God. Eat, drink the Word of God because that's your source. If you want the God factor at work in your life, get the Word of God into you because that will reveal to you the plans and purposes of God for your life. Then you move into the will of God. And the will of God is connected to the Word of God. And the will of God is, is just simply the heart submission that says, not my will, but your will be done. Not what I want, but what you want be done. Do you know what? We live in a world where there are people wanting to put their will across God's will. This is what I want. And because I want this, then, then I will actually make the word of God say it. And I, I'm amazed at how many people there are that can actually twist the word of God and make it into whatever they want for it to say because they want their will to be the will of God. And can I just say that you can't ever twist the God's word to make it say what it doesn't say. Oh, you can do somersaults and you, you, you can go into this, this person and that person. And, and I'm amazed at the contortions that people do with God's word to make it say what it doesn't say. I'm telling you now, if you want, to live a lifestyle that's, that's, that's an ungodly lifestyle, but you want to make it sound godly, then you can find a scripture to prove it. Let me give you an illustration. I, I heard another guy who was into the wacky tobacco, marijuana, and uh, he never wanted to give up wacky tobacco. He just wanted the marijuana. And so he was able to find a scripture that enabled him to smoke marijuana. You say, what? So he goes to Genesis where God makes all the herbs of the field and it was good. 
And so that was his, that was his text. You know, didn't God make the herbs of the field, including the hemp plant? Yes, he did. Didn't God say it was good? Therefore, I can smoke the wacky tobacco. And uh, you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say if you're looking for it to be twisted around. But you've got to read it in its wholeness. And so to read in its wholeness, the Bible says that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So you know what? I, you know, I'm not going to be legalistic and say, thou shalt not smoke cigarettes. But I say, you know, why, if, if you want your body to be the temple of the Holy Spirit, why would you pollute that temple? The same, you know, there's lots of foods that I'm able to eat. You know, and so, so but, but why pollute your body with, with foods that just are dangerous for you and actually minimize your health? At the end of the day, you know, you can do whatever you want to do if that's what you want to do, but I want to maximize my life. And see, that becomes the thing is that, is that the Word of God doesn't have to be legalistic. You have to read it in whole and see how it gonna, it's going to benefit you. So let's turn it around from, from, you know, the list of this is what you must not do to the list of don't you want to live a wholesome life? Don't you want to live a life that's glorifying God? So why don't you make that your focus rather than, well, what can't I do? And what can I do? What, what, you know, because that's just, that's not really what God wants for you to live life like that. Because you know what? If you really, this is what they did in the Old Testament. The scribes and Pharisees, God gave 10 commandments, but they actually extended the 10 commandments to over 600 other commandments that they added to the 10 just to make it so complicated that nobody could memorize it. And so then you've got all these laws that you've got to live by. It's like, do you know what? Jesus summarized the whole thing and says, love God, love people. Come on. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So there's got to be almost, you know, not just a love for God, love for people, but also loving yourself to a point where you're able to love others. And so you've got to be able to look yourself in the mirror and start loving what you see in the mirror rather than hating what you see. Even if it says, well, between a bad haircut and a good haircut's one week, but I still love me and uh, I'm, still, I'm still okay with me and a bit of gel and an Afro comb. You know, I have to pull out the Afro comb for the first time in maybe 40 years just to get it all. Anyway, let's move on. Let's move on. God's word and God's will have to align. And then the third thing is the ways of God. And the ways of God is something that you have to learn is how does God operate? In other words, what's the culture of heaven? Because they're the ways of God, the culture of heaven. And you know what? Culture is something that you just absorb because it's part of the atmosphere in which you live, the culture of heaven. And when you come to John, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, that's all that Jesus was doing in the Sermon of Mount was describing the culture of heaven. These, this is the way that God operates. It's the ways of God. This is, this is the way that God thinks. So it's not, well, what are the laws? What are, what are the do's and don'ts? You know, just get the do's and don'ts out and start to understand culture. Start to understand the way God thinks. Start to understand the ways of God. And, and you begin to flow in that culture. You know what? When Anne and I got married 33 and a half years ago, I never gave Anne the rule book. 
I never said, okay, now that you're my wife, this is what you are allowed to do and this is what you're not allowed to do. We didn't have that. We just said, now that we're married, why don't we establish a culture for the Juliano household? I'm bringing culture from from my, my, my parents' house. You're bringing culture from your parents' house. But we're a brand new family. Why don't we establish our own culture? And so that's what we started to do. We started to establish our own culture. And so the, the, the way that we think and the way that we operate. And so our kids were, were imbibed in that culture. And so what, what would happen when they operated countercultural, you know, we would stop them and say, you know, this is not the way that we operate. This is not the behavior that is part of the Juliano family. You know, we, we, part of our culture is generosity. And you know what? It doesn't matter if others aren't generous. We, we, we don't have this, if you're generous to me, I'll be generous to you. We're going to be generous regardless. We'll, we'll, we'll be the first to offer to pay if we go out for dinner and lunch. That's the way that we operate because that's our culture. And so they imbibed that culture. And what a wonderful thing it is to see them now as adults saying, we just love the culture. And now Steve and Bianca are married and, and, and their whole attitude is, we, we just want to, we want to propagate the culture that we learnt at home with mum and dad. And my daughter-in-law says, I love your parents' culture. We want that in our home. And you know what? All we're trying to do is, is emulate the culture of heaven. And at North Shore Christian Center, that's what we're wanting to do. We want to emulate the culture of heaven. And so when I see this incredible generosity unleashed without any demands, I just love that. You, you, never, you never hear me preaching on, you've got to give and you must give. And it's just, no, no. We're, we're generous people. We're people that operate in the kingdom of God. It's just incredible when you understand that and you start to see the God factor at work. Let, let, let me just uh, share with you some, just part of this journey, this incredible story, because it's so connected to living in trust that God is at work. Because high God factor, the difference between a high God factor and a low God factor is to do with trust. So if you've got a high trust for God, then you will operate in a high God factor. If you have a low trust for God or you doubt more than you trust, then there's a low God factor at work. You know, the the fact is, if you're born again, you're saved. There's always some sort of God factor, but it can either be high or it can be low. And and it it all connects with trust and obedience and your willingness to step out in the faith zone. Because we can say, yeah, I trust God, I obey God, but are you willing to step out into the faith zone where it's just God supporting you or do you want to be in your own zone where you, you're in control? And, and I'll never forget my first tenure in ministry. I was 21 years of age. When Ann and I started, when I started in full-time ministry, I was 21 years of age. I went to this church and as the assistant to the pastor, and this church had just built their own building. And they had a big mortgage in those days. We're talking 1981, big mortgage. And, uh, and they decided, the board decided, that they were going to pull back on everything to pay the mortgage. So they pulled back on giving to missions. They pulled back on evangelism, investing into evangelism. And they pulled back on paying the pastors. I was on 25 bucks a week. And uh, I was promised 85, but when I got there, I ended up getting 25. That's okay. 
Seriously, that was, for me, that was my test, not their test, how I was going to respond to that. And, uh, and I responded with a sweet spirit. God, you're doing something in my life, and I accept that. Not a problem. But I kind of felt, you know what? That's their decision, but I'm not sure that this is the best decision. And so I, I made a, a prayer to God. I was saying, God, you know, that's their decision, and it's not up to me to criticize that. But if I ever get in a position where I'm a senior pastor of a church and I have a big mortgage, rather than cutting back on giving to missions, I'm going to increase my giving to missions. And you know, how many times have you prayed a prayer and sort of forgotten what you've prayed? Is it? Huh? So we're talking now, that was 1981 I prayed that prayer. 1997. Great year for us because in August of 1997, we opened up this building and what a great day it was. But in opening up this building, we opened it up with a one and a half million dollar mortgage. And in 1997, with a congregation of 300 people, that uh, $1.5 million mortgage was, was quite, uh, quite interesting. And, uh, and, so, and so I'm praying, I'm praying, oh God, would you help us? Would you help us? pay our mortgage. And, and God came knocking at my door and said, do you remember the prayer that you prayed in 1981? Remind me, God. <laughs> and God has got a way of reminding. And he said, you prayed that if you were in a position where you had your own mortgage, rather than cutting back on giving to missions, you'd increase. And so at that stage, we were giving about $50,000 a year to missions, $1,000 a week, which I thought was pretty good for a church of our size. And, uh, and I said, well, God, you know, I'm giving $1,000 to missions, 50000 a year. And God said, you said that you'd increase it. I said, yes, I did, and I will do that. And so what we'll do is that we'll call a missions conference. And I invited my friend Jack Haynes to come. And so in March of 1998, we had our first missions conference so that I could fulfill this pledge that God was testing. God was testing to see how my God factor trust was going. Because it's just, how many of you know that God tests to see, you know, where your God factor is? And so what ended up happening is that Jack Haynes came, bled for missions all over our pulpit. People were crying all over the place. And, uh, and so he took out the faith promise cards and the and, and we pledged not 50,000 for missions, but $250,000 for missions. And so that drove me to prayer big time. I was saying, God, we've got a $1.5 million mortgage. We've got to pay this off. And now we're talking $5,000 a week into missions. And, uh, and, and, and you know what? I'm just so glad that we launched out and never missed a beat. We actually went into a heart, another dimension in giving to missions. And you know what's interesting is this, is that 16 years later, we've been able to theoretically pay off our mortgage. But in that 16 years, we've been able to give over $5 million to missions. We've been able to release 43 missionaries from our church. We've literally seen thousands of churches planted, literally Thousands of churches planted. We've been able to launch a television ministry that now reaches 150,000 people every Sunday in Sydney alone because we believed in the God factor. Come on. How many of you know that that's incredibly awesome? 
Just this incredible miracle of stepping out in faith. And so, you know, for me, this is just an incredible day of looking back and saying, God is good. And you know what? If he's good, he's good all the time. And these principles work for everybody that wants to understand. Don't hesitate to step out in the faith zone. If God's in it, then the God factor will be there. If God's asking you to do something, yes, it will always be scary to start with. Why is that? Because the God factor means it's miraculous. The God factor means you can't do it. The God factor means this is beyond you. That's the God factor. It's beyond you. You can't turn water into wine. You, you, you can't cause a miracle to happen. It's God that makes it happen. But he loves to involve you in the miracle. And that's the amazing thing about God is that he loves to involve you in the miracle. And here's these servants, Mary saying to them, hey, whatever he says, do it. So, so they do it. They get the, these water pots, they fill them up with water. And I love what they did right to the brim. You know, let me tell you, one of those water points, one of those water points filled to the brim is 100 kilos. So they're thinking, oh man, that's pretty heavy, 100 kilos plus the weight of the earthenware vessel. So it might have been 120, 130 kilos, 140 kilos. But their attitude was that we're not going to skimp on this right to the brim. And because they filled it to the brim, the miracle went all the way to the brim. If they'd only filled it halfway, they'd only get a halfway miracle. You know, can you understand this? That God says, come on, I, I want to involve you in this miracle. I want to involve you. Where's your faith? Where's your faith level in this? Are you willing to step out in faith? Are you willing to trust me? Or are you willing to back down? God, I'm willing to trust you. Well, that's where you see the miracle of God because the God factor is connected to obedience. What's God asking of you today? Thanks for listening to this message from the North Shore Christian Centre Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at www.nscc.org.au. Through our website, you can keep up to date with what's happening in the life of our church in Chatswood, New South Wales, as well as accessing other free resource materials.